All right, welcome back to 52 Founders. I'm Chrissy Costa, and with me this week is David Rabbi, another Chicago Booth New Venture Challenge winner and somewhat of a celebrity among Booth students. David managed to create Tavala, the smart steam oven that makes home cooking easy while still in school. Paired with a meal delivery service, Tavala manages to create delicious meals with minimal prep from the user. Its real mission is to combine convenience and taste with health. And after speaking with David, it's clear that his innovative mind and vision for the future will change the way we all think about home cooking. David, thank you so much for being on my show today. I'm really excited to have you. It's my pleasure to be here. So let's start by telling the audience about Tavala and what it is. So Tavala is a smart oven that's paired with a meal subscription service. So if you've used a service like Blue Apron before, you know that uh, it often takes like up to an hour to make the meals and then you have to clean everything. Uh, What we do is we ship you raw ingredients that are pre-prepped. We sell you an oven that can cook the meals to perfection. And all you do is Put a sauce on one of your proteins, put the meal in the oven, scan a barcode, and the oven knows exactly how to cook your meal to perfection. So that in less than 20 minutes, you've got a fresh cooked meal and you basically have to do nothing. Yeah. And I can verify it tastes really good. But I I would imagine that because you're uh, such a famous person at Booth now, I've tried so many samples of it over time. But I'd imagine that conveying to customers that the quality is top notch compared to other competitors or, you know, microwavable foods would be a tough. Thing to overcome. Have you found that's the case? It's, it's definitely challenging. I think once people wrap their heads around the fact that we control the full end-to-end experience, meaning that we're sourcing the salmon, we're creating our sauces from scratch, we're prepping our grains and our vegetables and doing all the chopping, and then our chefs are creating the right recipe to cook that meal to perfection, and, and that the oven goes through multi-steps so that it's replacing many appliances in the home. Once people internalize that, it, it starts to ring true. And, and really the best way to do that is for someone to actually scan one of the meals themselves, cook it and, and try it and realize that, yes, it makes a lot of sense when you're shipping raw ingredients and then you're, you're controlling the cook cycle exactly to your specifications. Of course, it's going to come out great every time, but really the best way to see that is to experience it firsthand. Yes. But again, with such a, you know, upfront cost of buying the oven, do you find that, you know, going to do events around the country is helpful way to kind of get the word out about that. Definitely. That we we have really done a lot of experiential marketing from the earliest days before we were on Kickstarter to now when we're actively in the market. And and one of the unique insights we've learned is it's about more than just trying the food. It's it's about going through the process of cooking a meal because it's one thing to say that it takes 30 seconds. It's another to actually do it yourself and watch the meal cook from scratch in front of you. And so the, the challenge for us is how do we design these events in a way that's scalable, uh, where people feel like they're interacting with the product, but still getting, you know, firsthand exposure to people's questions and concerns and things like that. Yes. And what I love about Tavala is that your people that I know that own one become such big brand advocates for it. It's just such a natural progression. You know, they really want to tell their friends like, oh, my God, have you tried my Tavala? It's so good. I just got it. And it seems like they're almost fanatical. But in, but in a great way for you. Yes. No, that's that's definitely right. The majority of our acquisition is organic. Um, and, and I think that's largely due to the, the early obsessive fans that we have. And, you know, like any Kickstarter, we had a handful of friends and family that bought and most of them bought just to support us. But time and time again, I've had, you know, aunts and uncles, friends come to me and say, 
I'm blown away. Like I bought this just to support you. We tried the food and we thought we wouldn't keep at it. And it's really changed our lives and, and given us a healthy, delicious option on weeknights when we're too tired to make dinner for ourselves. Yes. And so let's talk about the opportunity now. So I know that you went to Booth, just like me, where your story is now famous amongst Booth students. But if I'm getting and correct me if I'm wrong, you came to Booth, but you had this idea, but you didn't really know anything. You know, you didn't have a culinary background. So I didn't have a culinary background, but I had worked in the food industry for about four years. Uh, Mm, So I'd worked in food business and and I was very passionate about food from an early age. And, you know, I was, I was, I like to joke that I was the friend that would try to convince all the friends to eat healthy and try these different diets and such. And that, that was me in college. Um, And then I pursued a career in food. When I came to Booth, all I knew is that I wanted to start my own business in food and technology, but I didn't know what the idea was. And so I came in kind of eyes wide open and, and trying to look at different opportunities and see what was happening in the industry. And, and through a combination of that, plus the classic aha moment, that's where the idea for Tavala came about. So was Tavala then the opportunity, you know, trying to promote healthy living amongst people or and was the oven the way to do that? Or, you know, how did this how did what was the genesis of the idea? You know, I'd love to hear more about the progression and, and the history. So it was a combination of an aha moment and then looking at what was happening in the meal industry and the IoT industry. So the aha moment was I was cooking for myself on a Sunday, like I would do a lot while I was in business school, and I was using maybe four different appliances at once. And and my, my thought was, wow, I'm, I'm trying to make these different ingredients. I wish there was one appliance that could cook multiple ingredients at once so that I wouldn't have five or six pots and pans to clean and I wouldn't have to juggle all these different appliances and times and temperatures and such. So that was kind of the first moment. From there, I started looking at the industry and, you know, this was the beginning of Blue Apron, the beginning of Instacart. And it was becoming more and more commonplace to get fresh ingredients delivered to your doorstep. And I thought there was an opportunity to kind of merge that trend with a smart appliance, considering that IoT was becoming more and more of a real thing. And, and the thesis from the beginning was that Really, the only way to ensure a great product was to control the entire experience from beginning to end. And the problem now, if you look at a lot of different quote-unquote solutions, dinner solutions out there, they all have some flaw, whether it's uh, the time it takes to prepare the meal, the amount of energy that's required, the cost of the meal, the decision that has to go into whether you're going to eat that meal or what meal you're going to eat that night, or the quality or taste of the food. And from the very beginning with Babala, the goal was that we wanted to offer something that was convenient, it was incredibly delicious, it was very healthy, and and it stripped away any of the decisions that you had to make. And uh, the only way we thought we could do that was to control the whole experience from beginning to end. Yes, I agree. I actually think that's applicable to a lot of different industries. And I think, though, what's interesting to me is that you came to Booth and you, how did you then say, you know, create an oven? Isn't that a little daunting? Or did that terrify you that you had to figure this out? Yeah, it's it's funny, you know, I I think so we went through Y Combinator after Booth and one of the pieces mm-hmm. of advice we got was from the founders of Airbnb and they said and it was something that rang home for me because it was something I'd been doing subconsciously. They said that they never looked more than one step ahead. Because if you look too far ahead when you've got this big bold idea, it can be intimidating and, and scary and you'll just give up. Um because a lot of startup ideas are these huge bold ideas and the path to get to the ultimate vision is very, very treacherous and difficult. And if you think too much about that, you know, it's, it's hard to keep going. And, and I think 
you know, yes, you have to pitch the vision and the ultimate goal and all of those things, but day to day, it's just about getting to the next goalpost. And I think that that was the mindset that I had and that the team has adopted when it comes to this business and, and the way we have gone about building this very, very operationally complex and technologically heavy business uh, in a very short amount of time without that much capital. I think that's great advice. I also love that you brought up Y Combinator since I was going to segue there anyway. So, you know, you won Booth's New Venture Challenge, which is an accelerator type thing here in Chicago. So then why the decision to join Y Combinator? What are the benefits you really see to being in an accelerator? Yeah, so I had applied to YC while I'm still at Booth for the summer yeah. after we won the New Venture Challenge and I didn't get in. And my motivations for applying then were similar to what they were later. And ultimately for me, YC was about building our network of startup friends, whether it's other startups, alums, or investors in the Valley. Uh, that was one of the biggest ones. And the second one was that it allowed our team to focus and bond in a way that you can't do in the course of ordinary life. Mm -hmm. So no matter how dedicated you are to your business, uh, everyone has daily responsibilities. You know, you might be married and have responsibilities to a significant other. You might have a dog. You might have a lawn that you have to take care of. There's things that everyone is responsible for in their lives. What YC allows you to do, regardless of what stage of your life you're at, is drop everything, live in a house with your colleagues, and just focus on the business for three or four months. And that was particularly valuable for our team that was maybe a little older than the typical YC team, a, li a little more settled down. And my co-founder and I had only really started working together for a couple months at that point. And so for the two of us, it brought us together in a way that I, I don't know anything else could have. And, and for us, it's proven to be kind of the, the foundation of what we ended up building here. It's funny that you bring that up because YC to me sounds like an excuse that you can use because it's so famous and well-known that people understand and they're like, oh, of course you should go do YC. Whereas like any other circumstances, if you said like, let's live in a house and do this 24 seven, it would just be yes. <laughs> kind of bizarre thing to ask. I no, don't sorry. think we could have convinced our wives if it wasn't YC to, to pack <laughs> our bags, move across the country, live in a house together for four months and just disappear from the face of the earth. No, I mean, that says a lot about OIC's brand equity, honestly. So, but you, you know, went to San Francisco or the, or the Bay for YC, and then you came back to Chicago. So why the decision to stay here? Was it just because your personal lives were here? And what has it been like to grow a startup in Chicago now that you've seen kind of like the promised land of the Bay Area? Yeah, I, in hindsight, it was a great decision. And our motiv motivations at the time have definitely borne out. So, you know, I think the, the number one piece was that we thought we would be able to recruit better talent in the Midwest more easily than we would in the Bay Area. And that has definitely been the case. And I think that's a combination of the fact that there are not as many consumer companies here. There's very few food IoT companies. And our core team is plugged into every major university, from Booth to the University of Chicago to Northwestern undergrad to Kellogg to the University of Illinois. Most of our team has gone to one of those three universities or a handful of others in the Midwest. And as a result, almost everyone we have hired has come through our networks, and we've been able to build an incredibly diverse, talented team that, to, the, to my earlier point, has been able to build this business very quickly and with very little capital. And, and I think that is largely because we're here. And, and I think there's something to that mindset that the Midwest has, that Silicon Valley doesn't, that we have used to our benefit. Yes, I agree. And now let's switch to you. So where are you from? Where did you grow up? Uh, I, so ironically enough, I grew up in California. I grew up in Southern California <laughs> in Los Angeles. 
and uh, moved out to the Midwest for business school. Got it. Wow. So you spent your whole life out in California through college and everything before business school? Yes, that's right. And so what did your parents do for a living? So my dad has been an entrepreneur his whole life, largely because he had no choice. Both of my parents emigrated from Iran in the, in the late 70s, and they didn't have the job opportunities that we do now. And, and so my dad was fell into real estate development because that's what his, his uncles did. Um, and, and it was really the only path for him. And so built a very successful business building and developing homes and then building and developing apartment buildings. So from an early age, really all I knew was entrepreneurship. And that's all I really wanted to be was an entrepreneur. And I, I think that's because of the way I was raised. Yeah. But with that, did you see the trials and tribulations that come with being an entrepreneur? Do you think that your you know, dad kind of left that at work? He was very good at leaving that at work. I think as I got older, I saw a little bit more of that. But as a young kid, you know, my dad was always there for dinner. He would wake up super early so that he could be home, you know, to play with me and have dinner with us. So I think that's another lesson that I've taken that that's something that was critical in my childhood. And something that, you know, I hope to replicate myself. Did he give you any words of advice when he knew you were starting a company of your own? Yeah, I, you know, we for long, you know, for 20 plus years, we've known that this is what I wanted to do. And so I think there have been nuggets of advice over the over all of those years. You know, one one that has always stuck with me is to treat your people incredibly well and pay them really well because they're your your biggest asset. And he he told me that at a very young age and and kept telling me. And I think that is maybe a little more commonplace today than it used to be, but um it's definitely something that rings true with me. Yes, I, I agree. I think also people underestimate the power, you know, that retention has in employees and, and it really helps you enable your vision. If you're able to hire well from the beginning, it'll save you headaches uh, much later on. Yeah, I mean, we've we've been fortunate to not lose a single person we've hired. That's amazing. And so, you know, you mentioned the interest in food, and I'd love to know more where that comes from, just because it seems very atypical. You know, a lot of the way, especially when we were growing up, think we're of the same age, but it seems like we were mass marketed snackables and dunkaroos and, and things that are innately unhealthy. So I'd love to know where the interest of healthy foods come from. Does it come from your parents? It, I think it, it's, so it's a combination of things. I think when you grow up in an immigrant household, you probably don't uh, purchase quite as many like classic American goods. Uh, mm-hmm. And so my mom, my mom would cook fresh meals for us every night and we ate dinner as a family. So I think that was part of it. And then the other thing that happened, actually, right before I started college, I went on a health retreat with my dad. And and this was kind of a father-son bonding thing before I went off to college. And it was five days of hiking and yoga and all vegetarian food. And up to that point in my life, I had never actively thought about what I was eating. I just, I just kind of ate. And, I, you know, there were things that I liked and didn't like, but I never thought, how is this food affecting me and how I'm feeling and my energy levels and such. And these five days were were transformational because there was no way to ignore that fact. Just the change in how we felt from the beginning of the week to the end of, end of the week was absolutely incredible. And it led me down this journey of, you know, learning a ton about uh, food and diets and how it can affect how you feel and, and, uh, and things of that nature. And that was really what ignited the passion for me in, in terms of healthy eating and healthy living and, you know, has set me down this path that I'm on now. It's so funny you bring this up because I think there's a larger trend of wellness going on. And I think people are starting to realize that wellness and even beauty comes and starts from what you put inside your body. And you know, with the rise of many documentaries, like I think I just watched one called What the Health 
um, or something like that and forks over knives. There's a lot of movement towards plant-based diets. We're seeing a lot of, you know, anti-inflammatory products are rising in popularity. And so I think actually Tavala is coming out at this perfect time. And so I guess in that regard, as a follow-up, do you find that a lot of customers, are you able to figure out the reasons they're purchasing? Is it ease of convenience, you know, trying to be healthier, things like that? Do they really appreciate knowing where the food comes from? Yeah, I think it's a combination of a few things. I think customers want to have their cake and be able to eat it too. And that comes down to like, ultimately people want something that's delicious first. And that's something I learned early in my career is you, you can't sell just pure health food. It won't sell. It has to taste good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people want something delicious. They want something healthy and they want something convenient. I think what sets them all over the top is how convenient it is without sacrificing those other things. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what keeps people on the service. The fact that you get home on a Tuesday night, you scan a barcode and 15 minutes later, you've got this incredible meal that's consistently there for you three nights a week is incredible. Um, and, you know, it's, it's even changed my life, which is, which is pretty cool. It's like we have stopped scrambling for dinner three nights a week because we know we can count on this and it's delicious and healthy and it's, it's great. So who do you think your target customer is then? And, and how would you then market to multi, not multifamily, multi-person households? Well, because, you know, I know you can cook, I think, two meals at once perhaps, but what if you have a family? Yeah. So I I think what's interesting is our customer profile is pretty wide. We have people in their 20s that are single. We have couples in their late 20s, early 30s. We have couples with children. We have empty nesters. We have single senior citizens. And I think the reason for that is that it solves a pretty widespread problem. The lesson we learned early on, both at Booth and Y Combinator, and if you read startup books, is you should pick a demographic and just go after that target. And so we have done that um, with the, you know, the younger professional crowd that's 25 to 44, uh, lives in cities, uh, has tried these other services out there, the meal kit services and things of that nature. Um, and so we've kind of honed in on them as our target demographic. I think over time we'll expand to the senior citizens and, and larger families and such. And that might go in line with product extensions, whether it's family size meal packs and or diet specific meal boxes that cater to senior citizens. I think those go hand in hand with opening up to other customer profiles. Yes, definitely. I think the senior citizen market is actually extremely interesting. And empty nesters, I would say. I think, you know, when I was growing up, I was the same. We're not immigrants. We're, we're very strongly Italian. I think we're two generation immigrants. But family dinner is, is extremely important to us. And I think, though, there are so many phases of life besides that that are just, you know, really yearning for a product like this. And I, I, it's funny you keep bringing up Blue Apron because obviously they got a lot of press this summer with their IPO. And then obviously the stock price has taken a big hit since the Amazon Whole Foods acquisition. Do you see, you know, are you worried about that at all? Or do you see it kind of as a positive trend towards what people are wanting towards wellness in general? I worry about it for people that don't spend the time to really think about what Blue Apron has done for the industry and what the implications are. On the whole, I think it's great. Uh, to me, what, what it means is that people are clearly yearning for a solution, which is why so many people have tried Blue Apron. Mm-hmm. And Blue Apron has opened up people's eyes to getting fresh, raw ingredients shipped to their doorstep. But I think what Blue Apron struggles show is that it's not the right solution. It's it's a it's an experience and a solution for a very small subset of people looking to cook on a regular basis that want to keep learning new recipes. But uh, for the vast majority of the population that have tried the service and churned from it, 
they're still looking for something to solve their problems on the app between night. And that's where we fit in, is that we think we are right at this perfect intersection of people that are looking for something more convenient, but just as healthy, just as delicious, and just haven't quite found it yet. Yeah, I agree. I really loved how tasty the meal was. I would love to be a personal taster for your your new ingredients <laughs> recipes. <laughs> uh, do you the ever taste testing happens on a on a weekly basis at the office? It's one of the fun parts. I mean, I am in Chicago right now. Mm, I mean, <laughs> no, I, I I imagine variety is really important, and you know. I guess my last question would be about seasonality. Do you try to incorporate that into your meals and kind of come up with recipes, ideas, or do you use famous chefs, anything really interesting or, or who are your local chefs? Yeah. So, so our chief culinary officer grew up in Highland park, just outside of Chicago and, you know, has worked at a bunch of restaurants in town from Alinea to next uh, to Ellie Deas. Um, wow. And, and he's kind of the visionary of, of the meals. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. His name's Alexander Plotkin. And then our sous chef, Eric, plays a huge role also in developing, and they, they kind of bat around ideas all the time. And seasonality is a huge piece of it. And, and because mm-hmm. our business is very forward-looking, we have to plan out our menus several weeks or even, you know, sometimes months, uh, a month or so in advance. And so they're always thinking about, okay, you know, October is rolling around. That means fall flavors, fall ingredients. How do we start incorporating that and, and changing up the meals we're serving. Yeah, definitely. It's it's funny because I think you can really taste it in the food as well. I think this is the first year actually, you know, in America, you can probably buy strawberries all year round, but should you, it's probably, you know, not the right question. <laughs> I think, I think people are starting to realize that, that, you know, eating seasonally is a lot more delicious, but again, it goes back to what tastes good. Right, right. Exactly. Number one is the food has to taste good. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap up with some fun questions. So what is another Chicago startup that you're a really big fan of? I'm a huge fan of Simple Milk. Caitlin won the New Venture Challenge the year before us. And we actually became friends at the beginning of our business school careers when she was just getting Simple Milk off the ground. And I was the guy who wanted an idea and didn't have one yet. So it's been fun to stay in touch with her and, and watch their success as they grow the brand and spread out nationally. Yeah, I actually see their products all the time. Do you see a collaboration happening? Maybe some desserts or muffins in the Tavala oven with Simple Mills? You never know. You never know. Yeah, that'd be great. And finally, if you could interview one founder, who would you most want to interview and why? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Probably Jeff Bezos. I think he has been able to build an incredibly diverse business and stay at the top of his game as Amazon grew from a kernel of an idea to one of the biggest companies in the world. Yeah, I agree. I think for me with Jeff Bezos is people forget that Amazon permeates, you know, from AWS to prime to video. I, you just wonder what his original vision was. Like I'd want to interview Jeff Bezos, but in the nineties and talk to him (laughs) about what, you know, to see what he was thinking. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Well, David, thank you so much for being on my show today. It was really awesome to have you. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. All right. That's a wrap for this week's episode of 52 Founders. Be sure to check out 52founders.com and follow us on Twitter to stay up to date. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and I'll see you next week for another episode. Thank you.